0: Welcome to the Calvary St. George's Sermon Podcast, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ and Him crucified. These podcasts are recorded and produced by the parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. For more information about our ministries, head to calvarystgeorges.org. This is offensive to our ears as well. We want a God who operates like our world leaders. I mean, how many times it makes my stomach sick every time. Every time. I see a politician, whether they're on the left or the right, invoke God as a means to their end. should make you sick too. But this is the way we think. We want a winner. Chicken dinner. We want someone who's powerful, glorious, and in fairness to Peter. Everything they had seen so far pointed to this reality with all of the miracles. We don't want a man of sorrows as the prophet Isaiah saw. Blessed Peter knows what's going on with God and how God should operate. Just like you and me, of course. We know how God should operate. And so he begins to rebuke Jesus. Can you believe it? The Greek translation of rebuke here, the image is of like a mother chiding her six year old obstinate child. Heaven forbid, Lord, this must never happen to you. Jesus, you need to operate the way we operate. Jesus, you are the means to my end. You are the means to a glorious and amazing life. Your best life now. My purpose-driven life. Where everything will work out for us. Where everything's going to work out for me. Isn't it interesting that this conversation is taking place surrounded by idols? Because Jesus, the Jesus who's a means to your end... The Jesus who brings glory without first to cross is no different than the dead idols that surround the disciples currently. And this is my first point. There's an old Roman saying, which Peter obviously understood. What happens to the master happens to his servants. So, of course, when Peter hears the Christ, the son of the living God, is going to be handed over to the priests and killed... Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. And it's in this moment that Peter goes from A+, plus to get behind me, Satan. Because any understanding of Jesus that doesn't come with the cross is no Jesus at all. Deep down, Peter, just like all of us, believes that God works exactly like the world. Good things should happen to good people. Bad things should happen to bad people. And if you hang out with Jesus long enough, or if you just basically do the right things, everything should magically work out. (laughs) How's that working for you? As Luther articulated in 1518 in what became known as his Heidelberg Disputation, God achieves his intended purposes by doing the exact opposite of that which the human might expect. Luther said that the supreme example of this is the cross itself. God triumphs over sin and evil by allowing sin and evil to triumph over him. His real strength is demonstrated in weakness. This is quoting St. Paul. God demonstrates his strength and weakness, his wisdom and foolishness. Although I get it. I'm with Peter, personally. None of us wants to be rejected, do we? Nobody really wants to die. That's why you don't know when you're going to die. Science has already proven this. They're like, live every day as if it's your last day. If you know it's your last day, science says that you'd probably be curled in a ball freaking out. This is true. Nobody wants to die. And hence, life becomes this constant struggle of control between us and God and us and our neighbor. Life becomes this struggle between how we think God should operate and how God actually operates. Several years ago... I never got an invite back, but uh, several years ago, I got invited to preach at a chapel service for the Atlanta Falcons, right before they played the New York Giants. And um, I'm a Jets fan, but I'm a a huge New York City fan, period. And so I opened up my talk by saying, hey, everybody, Jesus really loves losers. And so no wonder I wasn't invited back, because they didn't laugh at all. And I could tell in that moment, everything hit like a lead balloon. Well, after the service, one of the players came up to me big guy and he wanted a prayer and he began by telling me his life story and he told me that his father was his pop warner football coach and then his father became his high school football coach and that from a young age him and his father would pray and you know and he knew that someday he would play in the nfl This was his dream and he was a leader in the fellowship of Christian athletes and all of these different Christian organizations and he was faithful to God the whole way. And he went to all the right football camps, he did all the right workouts, was an all-star in his state in high school football and then went on and was an all-star in college. And although he wasn't drafted through sheer grit and determination, he made it to the Falcons special teams it seemed like everything had come into place. And he was so thankful to God for Jesus getting him to this place. His whole life, his entire identity was wrapped up in being a football player. As I said, Jesus functioned as his means to get there. However, if you know anything about football, you know that special teams is the roughest place to be because on special teams, everyone has something to prove. Everyone's trying to make it on the regular team. And in a preseason practice, he was injured. And I didn't mention this, but he sat there with a gargantuan brace on his leg. And at the end of the story, this huge man with tears in his eyes, told me that the Falcons were going to let him go and that he wasn't being picked up by another NFL team. These weren't tears of loss. These were tears of devastation. God forbid it, Lord. This should never happen. A lifetime of identity. A lifetime of identity gone because of one practice. I'll never forget it. I'll never forget it because this guy was huge. And I watched as he crumbled, this young man just die. He was experiencing. And I was watching in him life as Jesus actually teaches it. The Son of Man must undergo great suffering at the hands of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And this is my second point. When Jesus says the Son of Man must suffer and die, Jesus is teaching us to understand life in this age is not as we think it should be oftentimes. He's teaching us life as it actually is. And that in this age, more often than not, life is defined not by our victories, but by our defeats. The great Eastern Orthodox Estonian composer Arvo Part, talk about a niche market, but uh, he, was, uh, he was speaking at St. Vladimir's Seminary a number of years ago, and he shared that as a young man in 1975, he was at essentially the top of his game in the world of liturgical music. And he shared that in that moment, his soul was also completely dry and suffering from a long bout of writer's block. With nothing new to present, he would soon find himself missing the Easter and Pentecost deadlines that had defined him in the past and now would quite possibly define his future. Sitting in the shadows outside, at the end of his rope, a young girl approached him and asked what he was working on. And he said he just buckled and began to weep in front of her. And he said, I have nothing. I have been working on nothing." The girl had a peculiar response, sounds to me almost like a divine encounter. She asked him, have you thanked God for this failure? Part goes on to say that those words captivated him. Have you thanked God for this failure? These words captivated him, and moved by the Holy Spirit, his weeping began to shift from, quote, "a sadness for composing poorly" to a sadness for praying poorly."." End quote. In that moment, the young girl reminded part of the truth that while gains in this age may be great, no amount of gaining apart from only Jesus can save you. And this is where the actual good news of the cross begins to come into focus. For the cross, the one which bears the crucified Messiah says to you today, understand the world as it actually is. It's passing. It's fading away. It's dying. And this is profoundly articulated by Jesus when he says, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Have you thanked God for your failure? Have you thanked God for this loss? Once again... Losing is not a result of your decision. Losing is not a result of your free will, and it's not something you do. Rather, instead, like that young football player, like Arva Part, the composer, it is often the result of something happening to you. Think about your life. Think about your life right now in terms of winning and losing. Where is your identity? Maybe for you it's in your job. It's in your children and their achievements. For you it's in your family. Where is your identity? Maybe for you it's in being a New Yorker. It's your sexuality. It's your party affiliation. It's your political ideas. It's the crowds you run with. Where is your identity? So often, it is in these things that we find our justification. They become our idols. They become like all of those idols that surrounded the apostles in Caesarea Philippi. What Jesus is communicating to Peter today and to the disciples And all of us, when he says, for those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it, is that there's actually freedom in losing everything. Because ultimately, when there is nothing else left, all you have is Jesus. All you have is that which is eternal and never fades away. And this ultimately is the content of our confession. This is what we believe. Real life has nothing to do with success in human terms, but rather like our Lord has to do with loss, so that we might be pulled up outside of ourselves and actually begin to taste eternal life. Jesus on the cross, the rejected, suffering, and dying God, tells us that oftentimes it's when we lose, we win. We win everything. And this is my third point, and this is the content of our confession. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. What we are saying is that because Jesus was raised on the third day and now lives and reigns in glory, the cross enables you to face your losses with all confidence because now his merit and his victory over death define you. That's why we walk through red doors. Did you know that? It wasn't a color scheme. It symbolizes the blood of Jesus and that we are a new people who've come through the blood of Christ, identified with him alone. And identified with Jesus and him alone in an eternal sense, you've already gained everything. And as you come forward to this table and you receive these tokens of the new covenant, bread that is his body and wine that is his blood, taste and see and know that the Lord is good and know that you, by virtue of your baptism, have already received his grace, his mercy, and his righteousness. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Blessed are you, dear baptized Christian, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast, produced and recorded at the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. If you feel led to support the continuing ministry of our parish, we would really appreciate it. You can make a one-time or recurring gift by going to calvarystgeorge.org slash give. Thank you for your support.